Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John Delano, and I'm the Communications Guy at Free Life Community Church in Ontario, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan and his friends are rich, Our Mecca campus is uh, connected to us now, uh, and so we are ready to go live. And so, good morning, everybody. Aren't you happy to be in the house of the Lord today? Uh, a lot, again, a lot of holes, a lot of people out, uh, some people traveling, uh, but that's okay because we're still together. We're going to have church, amen? Uh, I believe that uh, there are those who are traveling today are going to be listening in live because they can on Facebook, which is wonderful. Uh, and, and I am excited because uh, we, are, we have finished uh, our sermon series on He Said What? Uh, and I think some people were surprised that Christ actually said some of the things that He did. Uh, there's a lot more we could have gone into, and we probably will eventually. Uh, but I'm excited also today because we're, I'm, I'm starting a, what I call a mini-series of three messages on grace. Uh, and the first one is, what is grace uh, and why we need it? What is it really? Because I believe that not only in the church, but outside the church, we have misinterpreted what grace actually is. And I I can prove that very simply by going around the room and asking you what you think grace is. And I'll tell you something. If you didn't hear what the previous person said, I would get different answers from everybody. That's a fact, you know, because that's just the way things are. We have a different opinion about what we think, think things are. Grace means different things to different people, okay? My aim in this message today is to teach you that there's more to grace than maybe you think. There's an awful lot of ways to look at it. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul uh, is is talking here in in Ephesians 2 concerning our oneness in Christ and how we've been uh, made alive in Christ, where we were gone and dead in our transgressions, but praise be to God, because of Christ, we have been made alive again, right? And as I told you before, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've worked in a lot of different things, okay? Uh, You know, and I had to get, uh, you know, I had to get a PhD before I really understood what God wanted me to do. You wouldn't think that's true, but I think, how many of you, when you're in college, change your major at least once? Anybody do that? Almost everybody does. Uh, on a, on, some kids say, well, I'm going to do this. I say, well, you're probably going to change your major. No. Well, nine times out of ten they do. Uh, and because you, re- you don't really understand what's out there until you go to school and start learning it. Agreed? Uh, and so here's the thing. When I, when I ended up uh, going to school for the, my advanced uh, studies, I started to wonder, what are you going to do with that? Because I didn't use it. But I'm grateful that over the last several years, I understand why I'm beginning to use it. And the reason is because God's people are hungry for more. 
Did you understand what I said? God's people are hungry for more. They want the depths of what the Scripture says and what it means, actually. And unfortunately, for many years, and even today sometimes, I think people kind of give the Bible a cursory glance, and they don't really understand what's in there. I remember a young man one time uh, was telling me he and his, his girlfriend wanted to get married, and they were friends of my, one of my daughters, and uh, they came to me to do it uh, because this girl uh, didn't really have a dad in her life, and so she'd always kind of considered me to be kind of her part-time dad. And so she said, I'd really like you to marry us. Okay, so come in and sit down. We'll talk about it. And this young man, uh, they went to uh, a, I wouldn't say a Christian college. They went to a church-affiliated school. I won't tell you which one. And this young man said to me, you know, we talk about different things, and he was talking to me about what a Christian is and what his perception of Christian behavior was. And I started looking at it for a minute. And I said, there's a lot of different opinions about that. But some of them, they're not in dispute. Okay, When the Bible says, this you shall do or this you shall not do, I think there's not much ambiguity there. It's not ambiguous. It, it is what it is. You can call me black and white Dan all you want, but the fact of the matter is that's what Jesus said or that's what the Bible says, and so I take the Bible as word. I, I suspect most of us do, okay? And so, uh, and so he began to relate to me his understanding of Christianity and his behavior. And almost nobody who has been spent time in the word would have agreed with anything he said. And so I, I looked at him with a strange look, and I, said, I, and I picked up the scripture. I said, have you, have you read this? You're a Christian, right? Yes, sir. Have you read this? He goes, well, I scanned it. And therein lies the problem. Because what you think is in there isn't. (laughs) And you can't know until you get there. Agreed? How can you say you're a Christian if you don't spend time in the Word of God? Agreed? You have to spend time in the Word of God. Right? How many of you believe you have to spend time in the Word of God to be a Christian? Isn't it demanded? Okay. So... If you're in there and you're reading it nonstop and you disagree, okay, now we've got a premise that we can go back and talk about. But if you're going to tell me this is what Christianity is and you don't spend any time there, I'm going to have a real hard time believing your Christianity. Amen? And so as I begin to think about this, this is what Paul is saying. You've been made alive in Christ. And this is what Christianity means. Okay? This is what it entails. And, and I'm going to read today uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 out of the New Living Translation because I know it's paraphrased, but I really like the way that it is broken down here. Uh, starting at verse 8, listen to what Paul says. He said, God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, some of you will remember it said in the NIV, for it is by grace you've been saved. Right? I mean, that's a familiar passage. But notice how the NIV uh, puts it and how the NLT breaks it down. And so grace is the key here. What is grace? And so I begin to think about it. What is grace really? Well, let me explain to you the differences of grace. First of all, the usual definition of grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. But it doesn't really describe what grace actually is. Because here's the thing. I could go around the room again and ask you, what does unmerited favor mean? And I'll bet you I would get several different answers. Isn't isn't that 
human? Okay. Now, there are different ways that grace is shown by different people. Basically, it means that once God has forgiven us, that we do not have to pay the penalty for our transgressions. You understand that? Once God has forgiven us, He offers us grace then, and we don't have to pay the penalty for our transgressions. Because in human life sometimes, you, even though you may be forgiven by somebody, there's still a penalty to pay. Agreed? You may be forgiven, but there's, still a, there's a price to be paid for it, uh, whether it's a, a real price or it's an implied price. You understand? They may treat you differently from now on, right? There's a cost, isn't there? Okay? So, in God's kingdom, those transgressions have been completely forgiven, and nothing is expected of us other than what to do now with it. But based on the penalty, nothing. The debt has been forgiven. In society, your debt isn't necessarily forgiven until you've paid it. You understand that? Okay? With God, it isn't necessary. And that's what grace means. So what does it mean in Luke 2, uh, verse 40, when it says that the grace of God was upon Jesus? I've had people ask me, well, wait a minute. What does it mean when it says that the grace of God was upon Jesus? Did Jesus need God's grace? Well, he didn't need to be forgiven for anything. So what does that mean exactly? And what I will say to you is sometimes in translations we lose something. You understand that? I, I know that Pastor Jonathan is going to tell me that's true. I know that Pastor Bob is going to tell me that's true. That there's, there's a loss somewhere in, from the Greek and Hebrew into English or any other language. There's, there's a loss sometimes. Okay? And, and here's another thing I heard. Somebody once told me, I can't believe in any version but the King James. Why not? Well, because the King James was, uh, you know, uh, translated from Greek and Hebrew. And so were the others. No, everything else was translated off the King James. No, no, it wasn't. Okay, the writers or the translators of these other versions went right back and made a direct translation in most cases. And sometimes NIV is not direct, uh, uh, NLT is not direct. Well, they are, but they're, they're paraphrased. You understand? They, they say, it isn't exactly, we, we're, this is what we think they were trying to say. And a team of people did that. If you want a direct translation, English Standard Version, New American Standard Version, those are the two that are going to be required anywhere in the UK or the United States. Agreed, Pastor Bob? Those two, one or the other. And, and well, you know, English Standard, that's what my school required because it was in England, uh, but they would allow me to use an NASB. And the same is true here. We require NASB, but we'll allow an ESB, yeah, in most cases. Now, you could make a case for a new Revised Standard maybe uh, to a point. And maybe Holman Christian Standard, maybe. Uh, so, but every, everything's direct back, but there's still something lost in them sometimes. You know, because languages don't match up, particularly in the Greek, agreed? They don't, they don't, they just don't match up. We don't have phrases or words that are the depth of what was being said. And so we have to understand what this means and that the grace of God was upon Jesus, because that would muddy things a little bit. Jesus did not need the grace of God in the manner that we do. Because he was sinless. Agreed? Now, we can talk about that another time because you know I have thoughts about that. 
from the age of reason, Jesus did not sin. Yes or no? Did not. Yes or no? Okay. Just want to make sure we're on the same page. Okay. So he was sinless. Yes or no? Okay. Okay. So because of that, uh, I have to look at what this means. Because I'm not convinced that the Greek word that's used here, which is charis, or we call it charis, but it's charis. You might find it with a K. You might find it with a CH, depending on what version you're using. But charis is the Greek word that's used here. Okay. Uh, And it usually actually means grace in the context of how uh, the passage is written. But it could be translated grace in this passage, but a better translation for that would be favor. Not grace, but favor. And you'll notice that our subject passage today used favor instead of grace. There's a reason for that. It's exactly how the ESV translates it. It's how the NRSV translates it, NLT, and others. Yes, charis is typically translated grace, but it is also translated favor. It's translated kindness or even just thanks. You understand? So we have to look at the context in which it is used. Now, Paul says in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace yet seasoned with salt. Perhaps Solomon said it even better in Ecclesiastes 10.12 when he said, Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. I've known a lot of fools. Anybody? Have you known some fools? By the manner of a way that they say things. Sometimes it's been us, yeah? Has anybody here been a fool? (laughs) I hate it when I'm a fool, right? Do you? And you think to yourself, uh, we have uh, cliches for that. Open mouth. Uh-huh. Now, there's some, probably a few others out there, too. Uh, uh, my dad told me one time, uh, we said a lot of things, and I never understood most of it. Uh, but he, he said something to the effect, um, uh, you, you can uh, keep silent and be thought a fool, but re- uh, yeah, open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah? Anybody done that? Uh Uh-huh. But the fact is, what Solomon and Paul are saying is that uh, we should tell the truth about things. We should be honest. But we ought to do it with graciousness. We ought to be gracious in doing so. Not maliciously, not in a gloating way, or sometimes not even unfiltered. (laughs) Right? Has anybody ever thought yourself to be unfiltered? There's a word, right? Unfiltered. Uh, Sometimes unfiltered is good, though, because you can't sugarcoat everything, right? Sometimes you're better off just to say it, okay? And being unfiltered is necessary. But Paul is clear that we ought to be people of, get this, grace. We ought to be people of grace. Now, I hope you understand what all this means, because have you ever heard a lady described as a woman of grace? Who's heard that? She's a woman of grace, you know? And I think we all understand what it means. But, but the fact is the definition of grace used in this manner is poise, elegance, agreed? Forgiveness, or maybe even a blessing. I've known women like that. Yeah? Have you? An example is the way a beautiful or stylish woman easily walks across the room. And everybody just thinks, that's a woman of grace. There's a certain attractiveness to it 
that's not romantic. You understand? Yeah? It's the character that's involved. Okay? So you have to understand what grace means in this context. We have to understand the full meaning of the word grace. And again, I believe many Christians, and particularly in the church, by the way, uh, have misinterpreted and misused the meaning of grace for centuries. Let me explain that. Uh, W.E. Vine says in his commentary on the whole Bible that grace is that which bestows or occasions pleasure, delight, or causes favorable regard. Favorable regard. On the part of the bestower, the friendly disposition from which the kindly act proceeds, graciousness, loving kindness, goodwill, especially with reference to the divine favor or grace. That's what Vine says. In other words, what he is saying is, not only does God offer us grace. Now, now, remember this here. Not only does God offer us grace, that is, removing the necessity to pay the penalty of our sinfulness. He does that. But he also does so with grace. God offers us grace with grace. You understand? With gracefulness. About, there's, there's, a, there's an aura about God uh, in, in the manner that he does it, okay? He, he's, he's like that, that woman of grace where uh, it's a poise, it's an elegance, it's a, it's a step above our human understanding. You see, God doesn't just offer grace, he is grace. He's graceful in everything that he does. Do you understand that? Okay, see, we have to start there. Now, this is all very important because we've, again, wrongly believed for a long time that grace simply means uh, that God accepts our sinfulness uh, when he offers it. N- no, that's false. God does not accept your sinfulness. He has never accepted your sinfulness. In fact, he's saddened by it. Is that a new concept to people? How many of you knew that? That God's not accepted? Yeah. Jimmy, has God ever accepted your sinfulness? No. But people think that, don't they? People think that God accepts sinfulness. No, he does not. He accepts accepts me as I am. (laughs) Let's define that. He will accept you in the state that you are, demanding that you change it. Agreed? He doesn't accept you continuing in it. Yes or no? That's the answer. Therein lies the answer. So, God always rebukes those who practice sinfulness, but He does so with grace. I'm grateful that He wasn't mean about it when He made me aware of it. Anybody? That He accepted me as a person and, 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 and taught me that I need to change what I'm doing. That it has to be a mind and a heart change within me. Yes or no? Because some people, we've had this sermon before, right? Some people are head Christians and others are heart Christians. Can't be either one. Have to be what? Absolutely. 100%. Some people live their Christianity completely with their feelings. You're going to be misled when you do that. And there are going to be some people that do it completely with their head and they fail to use the heart. Yeah? Jesus used both, didn't he? And shouldn't we? Of course we should. But we gravitate toward one or the other. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, it's incomplete. See, that's not biblical at all. Now, let, let's, let's, 
go down the road a little further. The reason that God does this is because he offers grace to those who, who are repentant, who will change and stop their sinfulness. Do you understand that? It's the key because God is graceful in his love and in his approach to humankind. I'm grateful that he is. I'm grateful that he is graceful in his love and approach to me, particularly when we are disobedient. <laughs> who, who, who wants to face the Lord when you've been disobedient? Anybody? Who says, oh, goody? <laughs> I, I, I don't. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, does it? It's still hard to face him, isn't it? Especially when you know, you see. Because you're, you're ashamed that you did it. And you, and, and you think, I'm better than that. I can be better than that. I want to be better than that. Anybody? Who's, who's with me here? Yeah? You see, what's happened is we, sometimes we've taken advantage of his nature and the nature of his son Jesus by confusing his love and his grace toward us as some sort of an acceptance of our disobedience and sinfulness. No. No. That's a problem. And let me explain why. But we have to do so by looking at the biblical definition of grace. Are you following me so far? I'm not, I'm not too deep here, right? You following me so far? Grace is ultimately necessary as it relates to our salvation. Let me explain it. Okay? First of all, and listen carefully. You might even write this down. Everything that God does is related to our salvation. That's how important it is to him. Everything he does is re- toward mankind is related to your salvation with him. Everything. Now, we have to always remember this truth because basically this is all of God's gracious acts which show favor to an undeserving humankind. Did you grasp that? He's show, everything he does toward us is undeserved. See, we struggle with that. Because we seem to think that as we change, somehow we deserve it. No. You never deserve it. You never have and you never will. You know why? Because none of us is sinless. You understand? God, God has to, you have to understand, you have to see yourself for who you are. And we don't oftentimes. I'm going to get into this a little bit further down the line. Okay? Now, here's the thing. God's grace is more than just this, like, a, a passive pity. I think sometimes we look at it as a passive pity. It expresses itself in real and concrete acts of love, something that you can sink your teeth into, something that you understand. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter uh, 5, verse 8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, he died for us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I think that's the beautiful key. Christ died for me while I was still a sinner. He didn't say, stop sinning and then I'll die for you. No, he did it while I was sinning. And he's doing it. He died for people who are sinning now. Huh? That's, that's massive, you see, because none of us would make that deal. None of us would do that. We want to see a change on somebody's part before we invest. Yeah? Come on. Okay? 
And I began to think about that. So I thought, what this means is God sent his son to die before we changed our sinfulness or agreed to anything. He did it knowing what I would do, but I didn't. Other humans didn't. It was a gamble of sorts. Yeah? Now, in Emmaus, we call this unmerited favor that's bestowed upon us as prevenient grace. Now, I don't want to ruin it for anybody that's not gone, but I want you to understand what this means. Prevenient grace. It's God's activity toward us from the moment of our conception. You, you do understand that, right? Conception. From the moment of your conception, all the way to the moment that you say yes to God's offer and then beyond. And what it means, basically, is, well, the word prevenient comes from pre which means before, agreed? And the Latin word vini, which means to go. Yes, the Bible actually has three languages in it. Not just two. There are three. Actually, there's four. Anybody know what they are? Greek and Hebrew, right? There's also what? Latin and Aramaic. You've been listening. Okay? So you have to understand that the Latin word vini is in there, uh, and so basically uh, it means that which comes before. Okay? Come before what? Well, in other words, prevenient grace is God's grace working in and around us, pursuing us before we knew it existed or that we ever needed it. Right? And aren't you grateful that God was working on your behalf, pursuing you before you even knew you needed it? He's doing it now even. I'm going to need His grace sometime today. You know, chances are you're going to need His grace sometime today. And aren't you glad it's still there? You see, that's the point. <laughs> I think, wow, that's incredible. You see, God was pursuing us and offering us this grace with gracefulness, <laughs> I might add, before we understood it at all. In fact, Christ knew he would die for those who would never accept him. I bet you know somebody who you believe, no matter how hard you try, will never accept Christ. Anybody know somebody that they think will never accept Christ? Now, be honest. Well, aren't you grateful that it isn't up to you but God? Because <laughs> God, God can reach anybody. Okay? The thing is, will they allow it? It isn't up to you. You're just the messenger. See? It's up to God in His Spirit to convict. Yeah? And they may still deny. In fact, many will. The Bible's clear about that. But that's a sermon. Yeah. But here's the thing. Even though He knew these people would not accept Him, He came and died anyway. For them? Yeah. That's quite a gamble, isn't it? But he saw us as worth it for those who would, you see. Friends, that's grace. Isn't it? And it ought to mean something to us. It ought to mean a whole lot more than it has. It ought to compel us to take it very seriously rather than simply taking it for, for granted or cheapening it as humans, I think, have for so long. It's truly the pearl of great price. If you've ever read that story, that's what, it, that's what it's about. Who's, who's read that? You had to read it in school. A lot of you did. And if you haven't, you're probably familiar with it. 
And yet, God offers grace to all of humankind, regardless of whether they will ever accept Him or not. We wouldn't. We haven't. But He does. Now understand, friends, that the day will come when this offer ends. (laughs) If you didn't know it, this offer is going to end one day. Okay. Don't you just hate it? When you have all these coupons and you cut them out and you put them on the refrigerator or wherever you put them and you go to use it and, oh, it's expired. Who's done that before? Don't you just hate that? Why don't they just make this infinite coupon, right? The idea is they're trying to get you in at a certain time. They want you to use it. Well, right now, God's grace is infinite, but it's going to end. It is going to end. Now, people don't want to believe that, but the Bible says that it is. Doesn't it? Doesn't it, Carol? Doesn't it, Jimmy? I'm using them because they've been around a while. They're just older youth, but still. Okay, so, uh, Marcin, am I right? It's going to end. You've you got to understand this is going to end. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> For now... God continues to lay it out there for everyone. The problem is that most people misunderstand what God's offering grace to us actually means. Now, I'm going to get into that more in a few minutes. But here's what you have to understand. Yes, God sacrificed His Son. Yes, He revealed and offered His plan of salvation. Then His Spirit began to teach humans the deep things of God. But you can't get those deep things until you get saved, change, and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work on you, changing you more. In the Wesleyan Church and all evangelical, we call that, after salvation, we call, there's a, there is a process to salvation. I, 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 I want to get into that today. Because a lot of people say, oh, there's no process. Yeah, there actually is. But, but either you're saved or you're not. Yes? Either you're saved or you're not. And once you get saved, now begins the process in the process of salvation, begins the process of sanctification. Right? Okay? That's the best way I can explain it without confusing everybody. But the fact of the matter is, that's what happens. So this begins. And so the Spirit then even revealed more things to the inspired writers of the Bible. And the reason he did that is because these things can be shared in a manuscript for generations. And aren't you grateful for this manuscript? I'm grateful for this manuscript. Now, it's misunderstood a lot, misinterpreted a lot, but it's there, and I'm grateful for that. In this way, when we read the Word of God, we can understand what Paul says is the mystery of Christ. In the Roman Catholic Church, at every service, when they do communion, there's a statement that says that it is the mystery of faith. And that's exactly, they're right about that. That's exactly right. That's what Paul said. Because our faith is a mystery. Why? Because Christ is not necessarily tangible. Right? In fact, he said, blessed are those who who believe yet have not seen. Agreed? So that is a mystery to some, isn't it? It's a bigger mystery to others. (laughs) Right? Especially those that don't want to believe it. It was a mystery to me at one time. I suspect it was a mystery to all of you at one time. But aren't you grateful it's not a mystery anymore? You see. And this mystery 
is the redemption of humankind, even though we will never deserve it. We will never do That's a mystery. It's a mystery to me why God offers this redemption to humankind that will never deserve it. Because we humans have our limits. We will offer this for so long and then we're done when somebody stomps on you. Yeah? God doesn't. Not until the offer is rescinded. You see. Because all of this is in accordance with the eternal purposes of God. That's our salvation. In fact, we have the fact that we even have Scripture in the first place is grace. It's Him saying, I'm going to give you this manuscript so you understand, so that you can have this owner's manual for Christian life. I'm grateful for that guidance. Anybody? You see, God doesn't want us to fail. God has never... Now, some people, I've heard people say this. They say, God set me up to fail. No, he didn't. Are you serious? And when you tell me that the sinfulness that you're involved in, that God made you that way? Really? Do you think God really made a human in a sinful state to set them up so they would fail? Or do you think it more likely that it's a better way, easier way for us to explain who we are? <laughs> Boy, that hurts. Ouch. Doesn't it? God doesn't set anybody up to fail. He never has. He never will. God wants you to succeed. He wants me. I don't always, but He wants me to. Amen? God, he is, the Bible says He is for you and not against you. Now, either you believe that or you don't. I believe the Word of God. I believe that my Father and His Son are for me. I believe His Holy Spirit living in me is for me, and it wants me to succeed, not fail. He wants us to succeed in the plan of salvation. He wants us to succeed in our Christian life. I'm grateful for that. Is anybody grateful? I tell you what, everybody stand up. Because you're, 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 you're dozy. You're dozy. Hey, everybody home, everybody at Mecca, stand up. I wonder, if they're really, I wonder if they're really doing it. John, ask them if they're really doing it. I can see you. No, I can't. But anyway. God deserves a praise offering because he wants us to succeed. Praise his name for that. Okay, you can sit back down. All right, now listen. For this, in our Christian life, God has raised dead sinners, all of us who were dead in our transgressions, into a new life with Christ. One that is, I would say, life on earth, and one that's eternal as well. God wants you to succeed in this life and the next. Agreed? Now, to help us celebrate this and learn how to be better, stronger, more faithful, and more righteous than we are, with examples and a support team, the Lord in His infinite grace and wisdom built the church. There was a reason for the church. He wanted you to have other people around you in fellowship who would not only hold you accountable, but help you celebrate and be examples to one another in this thing we call success in Christianity. 
That's what it's for. And so, listen, yes, I know there are people. You probably know somebody. Maybe it's a grandpa or a grandma or a dad or a cousin or a brother. Who knows? Who stays home and says, I don't like organized religion, so I'll just watch on TV. Well, rock on. I'm glad you're doing something. But you are unbiblical in refusing fellowship in a church. You can't say that. I didn't. The Bible did. I'm repeating it. God made the church for a reason. I'm grateful for church. That's why I say when you're trickling back, I'm thinking, awesome. You need us. We need you. Because this building isn't the church. You are. You've always been. And there's been a lot of different people in and out of these pews over the last hundred years. Huh? Carol's grandpa started this thing, man. In fact, I named him Pastor Emeritus. He'll always be pastor here. Because he deserved it. But he's long gone. But I can tell you this. I know him well enough that he would be delighted to see this many people in the sanctuary today. He would like to have more. Why? Because that's biblical and it's a fellowship of believers together. Not just hearing the word, but fellowshipping together with Christ in the center. It's part of your success as a Christian. And the killer thing for me is, We have a connection to our Mecca campus too, through him. Who knew that they would be part of us one day? I bet he'd be excited about that. Would he, Carol? I think he would be. They're wonderful folks up there. They're part of us. We're all together. We're, we're, we're a few miles apart, but we're one church. Yeah? That's the key. That's what God wanted. In this way... We can see that God did all of it. No way can anyone receive salvation or grace by any type of meritorious works. People's tried it, but you can't get it that way. There's literally nothing any of us can do. There's nothing you and I can do to gain it other than admit our sinfulness, right? Be completely sorry for it, agreed. Many aren't. They're afraid to start to get caught. But you got to be sorry for your sinfulness, Okay. Uh, you got to ask for forgiveness and accept forgiveness, yeah, right? And then <laughs> accept it. And then when you accept forgiveness, promise not to sin again. Uh, do, do we want to leave that step out? Be honest. Who would like to leave that step out? Who has left it out? Right? you you got to promise not to sin again. Yeah? You're probably going to fail at that. We all have. But don't you think the further into this thing you get, the less and less you fail at it? Isn't that what Paul said? Didn't Paul say, where sin increased, grace also increased? But where sin decreased, less grace was needed and necessary. Hallelujah, praise God. That's the plan. That's what God's trying to do, you see. He's making a better you. Now, you get on television, it will tell you all these beauty products and these self-help things, and what, it'll all make a better you. For some of you, it's not making a better you. <laughs> so why don't we stick with something that works, right? Christ will make a better you. If you remember nothing else of what I've said today, my guess is you remember that Christ is going to make a better you.
Put things in perspective, amen? We have to accept what he gives us. And when we, when we promise not to sin again, God offers grace by removing the penalty and the punishment of our sinfulness. And he does so through the blood of Christ. He also removes the guilt by the same measure. Praise be to God that the, the folks in the Old Testament didn't get that part. But he offered it to them. But he offered it to them. When he descended into Hades, or Sheol, not Gehenna, that's not here yet, but Sheol, to offer them the guilt offering. He did away with the guilt offering of the Old Testament, didn't he, Pastor Bob? See, that's beautiful. Because we're forever struggling with guilt, you and I. And Jesus said, no. I did away with that too. But, that, but it only works if you're heartfully sorry and promise not to do it again, see? Yeah, that, that, that's, it. that's your absolution right there. That's, that's where it comes from. And we continue in this state with God so long as we no longer sin. Now, let's get into a little more depth of that because if we understand it better, I think we'll be better at living it. What do you think? So, why is grace necessary? The reason that grace is needed is for sin, right? Who does not get that? The reason that grace is necessary is because everybody sinned. All have sinned. Romans 3.10 and 23, it is written, There is no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, here's a problem in the church. There are people who think that's not, that's not true. There are actually people that want salvation to believe that they haven't sinned. Is that accurate? Not just because that's your thought process, because God said it. Agreed? Well, that was Paul. And didn't God give Paul the words? Well, you better believe that or you don't believe in the Scripture. Okay? So here's the thing. The spiritual state of man is seen in more passages than just Paul. Okay? Are you ready? I'll give you time. I'll give you about four seconds to get out a pen. You're going to need it. You ready? Here we go. 1 Kings 8, 46, for there is no one who does not sin. God's Old Testament. Okay. Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say I've made my heart clean? I am pure from sin. That's Old Testament too. Yeah, but the wisest man on earth said it. In the history of earth, I might say, because God gave it to him. Ecclesiastes seven twenty, same guy. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's three right there. One another. Psalm 14, 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who actually seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Yeah? You see, since... Humankind decided to sin and, according to Jesus, sold themselves into the bondage of sin. Jesus said so in John 8, 34. And since all have done it and sinned according to Romans 3, 23, therefore all are under the sentence of death. All. See, people say, oh, I've done some things, but I, it's not worthy of death. It ain't up to you. It's never been up to you. 
Let's face it. The transgressor never believes the punishment ought to be as harsh as it is. Right? Ezekiel 18.20, Romans 6.23, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You put those together, boy, does that come to fruition. Boy, does that come home. Hence, Old New Testament's beautifully together, you see. Love that part. There's no denying that all have sinned. And there's no denying that God has said that the penalty for that is death. Yeah? But you and I know that there are those who will first deny that they've sinned. I'm going to backtrack here a little bit. Their standards of right and wrong are not the same as God's standards. Agreed? Would you agree with that? Wake up, kids. Okay? Well, make sure you're hearing me here. And, of course, his standards are the only ones that matter. Aren't they? I mean, right? Let's be honest. Aren't God's standards the only ones that really matter? Okay. Now, there are those who will even say that if they did sin, that death is a pretty harsh punishment. That's pretty unfair. Yeah? Right? And if they don't say it, you know they're thinking it. But clearly their rationale on what deserves the penalty of death and what doesn't is different than God's rationale. Have you ever found yourself thinking differently than God? (laughs) Right? Again, his decision on the subject is the only one that's really going to matter. So all of mankind... Needed grace, didn't we? Because even if we're forgiven for the transgressions of sin, God also wanted to set aside the punishment. You see, and not just the punishment, remember, but the guilt of that punishment as well. I've got to bring that point home again here, you see. And that's really, my friends, what grace is for. It's so that we can keep... Let me, let me explain this. It's so we can change. You see, God offers us grace so we have time to change. Do you, do you get that? It's, it's, listen, how many times would you like a do-over? Anybody want a do-over? Well, you get it here. God's given you a do-over, but he expects you to do it better this time. Yeah? You see, it isn't so that you can keep doing sinful things and expect God's merciful grace to keep covering it. That's what we think, but that's not what God says. You get a do-over to do it differently, better, and righteously this time. Agreed? It's the only do-over you're going to get to do it better. If you keep doing sin, he's not offering grace for that. Did you hear me? God is not offering grace to you to keep sinning. Do you understand that? Never did. Never will. Never has. Now, God demands that you change. He's demanded that I change. Have I? Have you? That's the question. He demands the change. Stop doing it. And then be freed 
from the necessity to pay for it. Along with being freed from the guilt of it in the first place. And I thought to myself, how? I, I, I think I understand it. But what if somebody doesn't? What if somebody's asking, well, how is this possible? I think, friends, and hear me. I think, I, I really believe this. I believe that if, if, if anyone is truly sorry for their transgressions, they're going to feel a certain amount of guilt or at least sorrow for it. Huh? What do you think about that? Those that don't, I think, might not really understand what Christ did for them if they don't. And they certainly won't understand grace then, will they? They couldn't. Because if they did, they wouldn't keep doing those sinful things, which in essence makes Christ keep paying for it over and over again. You understand that? I mean, he's not, but that's the concept of it. I heard it once said that every time I sin in a manner that I've already been forgiven for is like putting Christ right back on the cross again. Have you ever heard that before? I mean, it's, it's not true, but, but the concept is, right? The concept is. And that's why I said earlier that most people probably misunderstand what grace is anyway. If there's not a change in them, they don't desire for change. If they don't feel a certain amount of remorse and sorrow for what they've done. Now, I've, you know, don't you just hate it when you tell a kid, hey, tell, tell them you're sorry. And they go, sorry. You know they don't care. They don't, they're not sorry. They're sorry they had to go do it. Right? And you know they're not sorry. So what good is it to make them tell they're sorry when they're not? Nothing, really. Does the person they're telling sorry to know they're not sorry? Does God know when you're not really sorry? Come on, does God know when you're not sorry? You see, God made this amazing way for us not to be lost forever. Uh, do you like that? He made this way for us not to be lost forever. Him, in His matchless grace, His matchless love, provided this ransom price for human sins. And that price was His Son to die in every single human's place. Everyone ever concepted. Did you hear that? Everyone. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, while the grace of God is demonstrated in many ways, I believe that none is greater than its manifestation in His Son. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because He died for you, knowing you may not appreciate it or even accept it, and knowing that you're probably going to scorn it at times, fail at times, he did it anyway. I was going to give my car years and years and years ago. I'm not going to tell you who it was. You wouldn't know him anyway. But this person needed a car, and Beth and I thought about it, and I was going to do it, and Beth said, you know what? Don't give it to her. I said, why not? Because she'll do with it what she does with every single one she's ever had. She'll destroy it. It'll be gone in a month. 
And I'm really moved by that, guys, because isn't, isn't, isn't that exactly how we treat God sometimes? Don't. He knows what we're going to do with what He's given us. Right? We're not going to appreciate it. I think there comes a time in your life, your Christian life, when maybe you do. Maybe you really start to get it. And, you're really, and, and that's when it hurts so much when you're failing. It, it, yeah? You see? Paul says in Romans 3.24, all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And this is the key, okay? Because even though we're forgiven, a penalty had to be paid and Jesus did it. I, see, we, we want to say, well, why did, why did a penalty have to be paid? Because God said so. His standards are so high that he requires a penalty for human sin. And you can argue all day long that he shouldn't require a penalty, but it, it does. His righteousness requires a penalty. And that's what I said in the beginning of this message, that as we get saved and move on, we begin to understand the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit begins to teach us those things. I don't know this side of heaven I'll ever understand why the penalty had to be so harsh. But the more I understand the nature of God, the more I understand why. It might be so. You understand? You can't get there unless you spend time with Him, you see. And even though we're forgiven and this penalty had to be paid, Jesus did it, that, friends, is what grace actually is. The penalty had to be paid. Jesus went in and did it in your place. It doesn't matter what the sin was, how deep, how wide, or how minuscule it is. Sin is sin. Any sin will keep you, this unforgiven, from the kingdom of God. Any of them. And you can pick and choose whichever one you want, saying, well, this one's it. You don't get to make that choice. God makes that choice. He said, all sin, this unconfessed and unforgiven, will keep you from the kingdom of God. Pastor, yes or no? Hey, I don't need pastor to tell you that. Who, who knows that? Well, you, if you don't, better learn it today. Because it's fact. Forgiveness is one thing, but the penalty is another, isn't it? Why would God pay the penalty through His Son, absolve you of any payment or ransom through grace, and then tell you that it's okay to keep doing the simple things they just forgave you for and paid the penalty for in your place? Why would He say, I'm going to forgive you for this, but keep, go ahead and keep doing it? Then forgiveness wouldn't be necessary. But it is, you see. You see why we have to change? The answer is he wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. He hasn't done that. And anybody who thinks he has is not spending time in the Word. Amen? Because i got to believe if you spend some time there, whether you understand it or not, eventually you will. Eventually you will. Now, do I understand everything in the Scripture? No. And I'm there every day, a lot. And I still don't understand everything. But here's what I've noticed, and I, I I suspect you will too. The more I spent there, I found that certain things I didn't understand at first, now I'm starting to. It kind of snowballs. How many of you think that you understand more of the Scripture than you did a year ago? Who, 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 doesn't, who doesn't think they do? Make an appointment with me. And we'll do it together. <laughs> we'll go over it together. Because I know if I make an appointment with you and you come to me every week, we'll spend time in the Word of God and I'll know you're doing it. And I suspect that in another year, you'll see the changes. Who believes that? Yeah, you will. <laughs> you see, friends, salvation is not merited. 
And, 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 and write this down. We absolutely do not deserve it. Did you hear me? You, you, you don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve salvation. None of us. No human has ever deserved salvation, not even an infant. Not, not my words. No human ever deserved salvation. Aren't you glad you got it anyway? You can see why this is increasingly more difficult for us to see and understand, though. Can't you? You see, the devil has made a society that believes it deserves everything. It's part of his plan. If he can get society to believe it deserves everything, they'll believe they deserve salvation too. Then they'll take it for granted. Isn't that happening? I, I, don't, I don't know how you can deny it. We are the most entitled society in the history of humankind, and yet we're also a society with the least amount of conscience that's ever, that's ever been known. You with me here? You can dispute it if you want, but again, I could probably give you some examples. I don't think I need to, though. So, of course, we don't believe that we don't deserve God's favor. Nobody wants to believe that. All humans have sinned and deserved hell. Period. Yes, even infants. Because God said so. Right? We don't like it. You may not understand it, but God said it. All humans. It doesn't matter whether we agree with Him or not. And notice that we always want to find a way to earn our way out of things. Have you noticed that as I close this thing up? Now, friends, uh, as a, a past professor of advanced theology and uh, uh, spiritual formation, as well as philosophy, uh, and English too, uh, at, at Indiana Wesleyan University, <laughs> I've seen over and over again students who didn't quite make the grade. And it's funny to me the ur sense of urgency that they have at the end of the semester. <laughs> Professor, am I wrong? Have you seen it? <laughs> okay. Uh, and so they, they come in and they say, uh, well, can I get some kind of extra credit? Because I'll say, well, what can I do to get my grade up? Well, you can't. We were at the end of the semester. You, this was part of your grade, this part of your grade. You, you, you mathematically can't do it. Well, can I get some? I know this is coming every time. Well, can I get some sort of extra credit? Now, most of them don't deserve it. You know they don't. It isn't because they couldn't make the grade. They chose to put in little effort to make the grade. And I know that. Now, listen, I have, I've had students that just couldn't get it. They tried. What? I'm a little more lenient toward that. I'll spend time with them. I'll hook them up with a student that's pretty sharp in it. You know, I'll, right? I'll help, I'll help that effort. But the one that lays on the desk and drools, or the one that doesn't show up, or the one that I catch him in the hallway. Hey, did, 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 did you get uh, uh, Willis's notes? Where were you? You know. <laughs> but anyway, most of them expected that I give them extra credit. 
They expected me to do it. And they were furious when I wouldn't. Notice I said expect. Now, isn't this how we as a people's kind of are today? Don't we expect certain things of God? Now, now, in in your own mind, here's what I want you to do. Look, look, Look at me for a minute. And I want you to be honest with yourself. At home, at Mecca, listen. Do you expect certain things from God? Have you ever expected things from God? Do you expect God to be merciful? Do you expect God to be lenient? Do you expect God to be compromising when you think He should compromise? Maybe we call it understanding. <laughs> I don't know. We can sauce it any way we want, right? I mean, you can change the flavor of any meat with a little sauce. I'm telling you. Believe me, I've done it because I've eaten some things. There was a time when people wouldn't come to my house for fear of what they might get out of the freezer. That's a fact. And I'm just telling you, a little barbecue and you'll never know. (laughs) You can sauce it any way you want. Because my motto is the United States Marine, if it bleeds, I can kill it, which means I can eat it. And a little sauce... Just about everything. Isn't it, Kenny? A little sauce, brother. I'm telling you. I draw the line. You know what? Some things, like possum. I probably couldn't do that. But I've eaten a lot of other things. Now, here, so see, so we can sauce it any way we want. But perhaps instead of trying to tell God he needs to understand us more, maybe what we should be doing is doing our best to understand God more. How's about that? Remember, nothing we could do would earn or merit our salvation, and we shouldn't expect it to. Salvation is that which is given by God's grace, a favor to humans that they do not deserve. And hence, salvation is the gift of God, as are His mercy, His forgiveness, and His grace. And as our worship team comes this morning, Here's what I would leave you with today. And I, now I know that you got a lot. I know this was an awful lot, almost an hour. But friends, you have to understand what grace is. You really do. You have to understand what grace is. Because I'm not sure we do. God offers grace with grace. Because that's who He is. But only when you are heartfully sorry and understand your sinfulness, you turn from it, renounce it, and become a whole new creation in Him. Not doing it anymore. That's when He offers the grace with grace so that the penalty is taken from you. And you no longer have to deal with it. And He takes the guilt away too. Aren't you grateful for that? So we ought to be grateful for the loving kindness, the favor, and the grace of our God. Without God's grace, we would all be condemned, for all of us have sinned. We ought to look to God's grace. Obey the gospel for the salvation of your soul. Appreciate and cherish the grace that's offered to you, because I think we kind of use it as a punchline sometimes. And you do so by turning from your sinful thinking, your wrong and sinful beliefs. And there's a lot of them out there in, in, in people, I'm telling you. People who say they're Christian believe certain things are completely unbiblical. And there's so many of them, I don't know where to start anymore. But you have to stop your wrong and simple behaviors too. You've got to stop them, see. God expects you to. 
Stop them. Because you're not going to receive grace until you do. And I want you to. And God wants you to. He's offered it out there for you. Remember, our standards on the subject are different than God's. And His are the only ones that's going to count. What God says goes. It always has. And we're going to find one day, with a capital D, how right this is. Anybody? Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.